Welcome to the 45th episode of the 4th and 24 podcast with Patrick Winograd. I'm your host, Randy Winograd. In this edition of the podcast, our topics are our usual recap of Patrick's weekend predictions and a deep dive into game one and where applicable game two of every first round series in the NBA playoffs this week. Let's jump right in with that look back at Patrick's weekend predictions. And his predictions are posted every Thursday on our website at 4thand24.com. We'll start in the NBA where in the playoff play-in game for the playoffs between the Grizzlies and the Warriors, the Grizzlies upset the Warriors 117 to 112 in overtime. Patrick incorrectly picked the Warriors to win that contest. In game one of the Bucks Heat playoff series, the Bucks prevailed 109-107 with Patrick correctly picking the Bucks. Game one of the Trailblazers Nuggets series, the Trailblazers dominated the Nuggets 123 to 109 with Patrick correctly picking the Trailblazers to win that game. And finally, in Game 1 of the Hawks-Knicks series, the Hawks edged the Knicks 107-105 with Patrick incorrectly picking the Knicks. So Patrick went 2-2 two two in his NBA predictions. Turning our attention to Major League Baseball, the Dodgers swept the weekend series up in San Francisco from the first-place Giants, the then-first-place Giants, with Patrick correctly picking the Dodgers to win that series. The Red Sox at the Phillies took two out of three with Patrick correctly picking the Red Sox. The White Sox played the Yankees. Uh, the Yankees swept the White Sox. Patrick incorrectly picked the White Sox in that series. And another sweep this weekend, the Mariners at the Padres. The Padres predictably sweeping the series. Well, predictably winning the series, as Patrick predicted. They swept the series. So Patrick went 3-1 and one in his Major League Baseball predictions this weekend, resulting in a 5-3 and three overall record in this weekend's predictions. That brings Patrick to 123-89 and 89 overall. A 580 winning percentage, so the winning percentage ticked up this week after a little decline last week. Patrick, your thoughts on your weekend predictions? Uh, we will be talking about the NBA in depth later, so not going to go into too much depth on that one, except for the Grizzlies and the Warriors. Uh, what a great game. Good for the Grizzlies to reach the playoffs. We obviously know that they beat the Jazz in Game 1. We're going to talk about that later. But great play all around by Memphis. And uh, look, they're, they're a very young team, but they're playing very well. Um, Joe Morant did a lot more than Steph Curry down the stretch in that game. That's the reason that they won. Uh, and then in the MLB, the Dodgers sent a pretty strong message to the Giants about who's the kings of the division. I mean, it's only been, what, eight years since the Dodgers last didn't win the division. So I don't really think they need to send the message, but the message was received. Uh, the Red Sox continued what I thought was a little bit of an early season fluke, but now I'm starting to believe is it's true. It's going to continue to hold form. Uh, White Sox had a very odd, bad series. They blew a few leads. They really didn't score much at all. Uh, and the Yankees did pretty much had pretty much an, an an average offensive series, and then their pitching just held the White Sox down entirely. The Yankees actually had. For the first time in their franchise history, five starters in a row give up zero earned runs. So, uh, pretty crazy. Wow. But, which is honestly really surprising that the Yankees have only had that happen once, and it was this year when they're not supposed to have a great pitching staff. But anyway, uh, and then the Padres, look, I wanted to pick the Blue Jays-Rays series, but that game, that series was four games, and I don't pick four-game series. So, I would have picked that one, but I didn't. And the Rays actually swept that series, so not even more interesting than the Padres-Mariners series. A little more high-profile. But yes, the Padres beat the Mariners. That was, believe it or not, the best series between two good teams this weekend outside of the other three, and then the Rays-Blue Jays won. But overall, pretty satisfied with my predictions this weekend. Yeah, Padres, um, they didn't just sweep 
the Mariners. I guess one one game was close, but they destroyed them in the first game and, and in the third game of that series. Uh, so they and the Dodgers are on a roll, um, and we'll obviously talk more about MLB in our next podcast. So uh, let's move on from your weekend predictions. Obviously, your next weekend predictions, as always, will be posted on our website on Thursday. Uh, let's take a look at the first round of the NBA playoffs, starting with the East and then moving to the West. So let's first take a look at the series featuring the number one seeded Philadelphia 76ers against the number eight seeded Washington Wizards in the East, where Philadelphia leads the series one to nothing after a 125 to 118 win in the first game, which as expected, Philly jumped out to a series lead. How did they do that, Patrick? Well, I mean, they did that from pretty balanced play overall. Uh, I mean, I think we all know that Philly on paper just has a better roster than Washington. Washington's bench was actually surprisingly very, very good, uh, very efficient too. I believe there were 17 of 29 from the field in that game. Uh, but overall, they, I mean, everybody on Washington was pretty efficient. Actually, they outshot Philadelphia by 6% in the game. But Philadelphia, even though they also got outshot percentage-wise on free throws, shot, I think, 15 more free throws than Washington did. So, um, I mean, but, you know, you have Joel Embiid who leads the league in free throws per game. That is to be expected. Uh, However, it is still interesting that that is what Philly did in that game. And it's the way that they're probably going to win the whole series. They might not need to shoot as efficiently as Washington does, and they might still win pretty easily. Uh, I can definitely see that trend continuing. I think one of the things that was really, really surprising, probably the most surprising uh, performance of the entire weekend, even including all the rookies who scored 30, I'd say Tobias Harris scoring 37 because he's had a long playoff career and he has not delivered in that long playoff career. It's kind of similar to a player like Paul George who has had his fair share of struggles in the postseason. But to come out and score 37 points, it's sending a message. And look, I'm, I'm less sure after that first game of the Nets, just as ba- on the basis of how good the 76ers were playing than I ever have been this season, probably. Uh, other than maybe when uh, LaMarcus Aldridge got injured and Kevin Durant had a very unsure injury. But we'll, we'll get to the Nets later. So you're but talking yeah. down the road, the Nets, yes, the ability to sure, get to the conference sure. finals. But yeah, uh, Tobias sure. Harris, if he's this good, it, it will be really hard to beat Philly, even if you are Brooklyn. Um, but 37 points, Joel Embiid had 30 points, Ben Simmons had... Six points, but 15 rebounds and 15 assists to offset that. Bradley Beal scored 33. Russ had 16, 14, and 5. No triple-double. No triple-double, but overall, everybody's playing pretty well uh, on both sides of the series. I think this could be a pretty entertaining one, kind of like Brooklyn against Philadelphia a few years ago, if anybody remembers that one. Uh, it, It got a little ugly, but it was a very fun series to watch nonetheless. Uh, But yeah, I think Philadelphia is probably going to continue this. Uh, but we'll have to see what happens. All right. Well, speaking of those Brooklyn Nets who uh, you were mentioning, are on a, you think are on a collision course with the Sixers uh, to reach the conference finals, they opened up their series against number seven seeded Boston Celtics with a 104-93 win. Uh, what was the key to Brooklyn's win in game one of this series? Uh, just playing like they have a big three in the second half. I mean, you look at the first half, the first quarter, the Celtics are going to go quarter by quarter with this game. The Celtics won the first quarter 21-16. They won the second quarter 32-31. to Then Brooklyn won the third 31-20, and then won the fourth 26-20. to So basically what I'm trying to say here is, if you look at that, there were three quarters where, where uh, Boston scored 21 or less points. Actually, 21, 20, and 20. 
The only quarter they scored above 30 in was, was the second quarter. Again, they did take in a 53-47 to 47 halftime lead, but I feel like knowing, this, knowing the Nets, 53-47 is probably not enough to hold them down. We all know that their scoring output is ridiculously high uh, with how high-powered their team is. But I would say if you told Boston they were holding Brooklyn in 104, they would say we have a pretty good shot to win this game. And they still, in the, at least in the second half, looked like they were just they were no match for Brooklyn. Uh, I think this. I don't know if I previously stated that this would be a sweep. I think I probably did. Probably said both. Actually, maybe I gave Washington a game, but I know that I said one of these two series was going to be a sweep. And if I didn't say it was, I probably said five games. I don't think I'm going to give Boston a game anymore. Uh, barring a Jason Tatum 60-point performance. But speaking of Jason Tatum, 22 points on 6 of 20 shooting isn't going to get it done, especially when Kemba Walker only scores 15 on 5 of 16 shooting. Also, most of that was in garbage time. He had 9 points until the middle of the fourth quarter when they were already down by, I believe, 15 points. So overall, 37 points combined for those two. 11 out of 36 shooting. The only po- it's just It's dismal for them. But the only positive for them was that Robert Williams set a, well, I guess I'll say unofficial, well, official but not unofficial, sort of confusing, but anyway, a postseason franchise record for Boston with nine blocks in this game. Robert Williams has really been a bright spot for this team all year, uh, and probably the reason why they were able to trade away big men at at the trade deadline and not really care about it. Um, However, a lot of people have been saying, well, yeah, he has the official franchise record, but we all know Bill Russell definitely had more than nine blocks in the game at some point during his 11 NBA championships. Before it became an official stat. Before blocks became a stat. But yes, for now, without any stat tracking of games that we don't know anything about, Robert Williams did have a postseason franchise record. Uh, But the big three for the Nets pretty much scored very efficiently. Kevin Durant had 32 points, 12 rebounds. Harden had 21, 9, and 8. Kyrie had 29, 6 on 55% shooting. And look, if they do that every game, they're going to kill the Boston Celtics. Yeah. I think it's pretty simple. Uh, they literally got no production from their bench whatsoever. A total of 11 bench points in this game. And even that was still enough for Brooklyn to win this by 11. By the way, I think it's easily possible that Harden can get above 30, and Kyrie can get above 30, and Kevin Durant can get above 30 all in the same game. While there is only one ball on the court... <laughs> If they felt like it, I mean, 11 bench points, you'd say, okay, 90 plus 11, that's 109. That works per that works per, <laughs> one, 101. Yeah. That works perfectly fine. I mean, that's enough points, and, and also I could see them doing that. Uh, and Joe Harris had 10 points. He didn't even have the greatest night, and they still won by a lot. I mean, I, I don't really see any positives you can take for Boston because they weren't the only team who didn't shoot up to their expectations. All right, well, let's move on to the only series in the East that uh, had two games played with tonight's game being complete, and that is Milwaukee against Miami. Milwaukee wins game one, 109-107 in overtime, and in game two, they absolutely throttled Miami, 132-98. This game was over in the first half. Milwaukee jumps out. First quarter. Okay, well, I was being generous. You never know. Everybody makes a run in the NBA, they say, right? So uh, Milwaukee leads this series 2-0. Big difference between this year and last year's playoff series between these two teams so far. Uh, what is the, what, what's the reason for that difference? I think one of the big differences is that uh, really just Milwaukee just feels better. They feel like they have a better, I don't know if it's necessarily a mentality thing, but 
it just feels like their their overall flow to the game. They look nicer. They look sharper. Everything just feels like it's playing better. And Miami feels like we we talk about the the Heat culture all the time. It feels like the Heat culture isn't there. Um, I almost wonder. Sorry to interrupt. I almost wonder if they lost that game one, what what would happen in game two? It looks like Milwaukee may have gotten a monkey off their back, winning that game one and just Finally playing. Being able to pull out a close game against Miami, yeah, it, it probably it probably did lift a big way off their back. I mean, I would also say that one of the things, and I'll get to this later, but one of the things that was important about that game is that they didn't rely on Giannis to win the game, and while that doesn't reflect well on Giannis's legacy and and individual play. It does work for their team, and it is going to be a positive in the future if they continue to do that. But I'll get to that in a second. Um, in game one, the real thing that happened in Miami is that Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo combined for 26 points on 8 of 37 shooting. If you thought the Boston, say, the Boston two stars were bad. You thought 11 of 36 was worse. bad. We will top that with 8 of 37. Yeah, on, on, on 11 less points, nonetheless. Um, look... I would almost say, I mean, if we recorded this podcast before game two had started, I would say there's no way it happens again. It actually did happen again tonight. Um, Jimmy Butler didn't score much, but I think that was more a product of just what was happening in the game. But I'll get to game two in a second. Um, it's just not enough. Miami cannot win games if, if those two are only scoring 26 points. And still somehow they got it into overtime. So a lot of people... And this is actually what I think really happened with Milwaukee. A lot of people said, well, 8 of 37 with 26 points from those two is never going to happen again. So uh, Miami's in a great place considering that they got the game to overtime even with that going on. Well, yes and no, because sure, you can say it's not going to happen again, but what if it does? And it did. And in the end, they didn't score anything in game two, and they got stomped in game two. That overtime game was ridiculous. That was such a fun game to watch. And by the way, as I said, Chris Middleton taking the final shot is a big progression for this Milwaukee team because I think all of their close games in the, down the stretch last year it was Giannis taking the shot and he didn't make it. It's just that simple. Uh, this year, I remember Brooklyn, Brooklyn lost to Milwaukee on a Chris Middleton shot. And the idea is Giannis doesn't have a perimeter game that's going to work. He's not Dame Lillard. He's not going to shoot a bunch of step backs and score 40 on you. Um, He's also not going to make free throws. That too. So I mean, you can't even you can't rely on him in a one point game even to no. get to take a shot because frankly, you could just foul him and make sure he misses the shot and he's not going to do anything because he's going to miss a second free throw, which he actually did, and that's the reason why this game went to overtime. Yep. Because Jimmy Butler was able to, I think, with five seconds left, get the ball, ISO, get a layup instead of having to have somebody else shoot a three because Jimmy isn't the best three point shooter. He got into his comfort zone because Giannis was out of his shooting at the free throw line. Uh, again, Jimmy Butler, yes, he sent the game to overtime, and maybe people thought that could have been a turning point, but they, they kept the game close in overtime, and then the Middleton shot just sent, sent Milwaukee into a frenzy. Um, I feel like it did signal them kind of getting over the hump, and maybe it changes their outlook on the future for this series against them. And overall, Holiday, Giannis, and Middleton all had 20-plus. I think if they continue that, they're probably going to win this series pretty easily. Um, I'm not going to say they're going to sweep. Miami yet, but they're probably going to win this pretty easily. Uh, Giannis was 10 for 27 shooting, so that was another thing that people were talking about. But again, if you're going to say that Butler and Adebayo weren't efficient and that can't continue, the guy who only dunks, according to James Harden, is not going to continue to shoot 20, 10 of 27. So 
Overall, both teams didn't shoot well to get that game in overtime, and then Milwaukee just came out and absolutely destroyed Miami in game two. Uh, I paused the game and took a look at the stat sheet with 135 left in the first quarter. The score was 41-15 to 15 Milwaukee. Okay, it was over in the first quarter. Yeah, I'm t- I told you. <laughs> um, Jimmy Butler had 10 minutes. He was 2 for 6 with 4 points. That was the, the leading score on the team was Dwayne Deadman, who in 4 minutes, who Chuck, who Charles Barkley called Dwayne Deadman. Um, <laughs> in 4 minutes, he shot 4-4 with 1 of 1 from 3 and 9 points. That he was the only other scorer on the team other than Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo through one and a half minutes left in the first quarter. You know they can't win a game doing that. Meanwhile, on Milwaukee's, or overall at least, they shot 28.6%. They were 1 of 6 from 3 and 2 of 4 from the free throw line. They got out-rebounded 16 of 4, mostly because they missed a bunch of shots. Uh, But meanwhile, Milwaukee shot 16 of 22, which is 72.7%, and 9 of 13 from 3. Uh, Milwaukee had 14 assists, and Milwaukee even turned the ball over three times compared to the Heat's one, but it still didn't matter because Bryn Forbes came out of absolutely nowhere and was 5-for-5 from the field, 4-for-4 from three, with 14 points in five minutes. He almost single-handedly outscored the Heat in the first quarter in five minutes of play. And then, to cap it off, Giannis had 9-6-3 in the first 10 minutes of the game. Middleton had three, just making one shot. Holiday had two. DiVincenzo had five. Pat Connaughton was two for two from three. Milwaukee was just on fire. There was just nothing stopping them. They were making all the effort plays and everything. And Bryn Forbes, by the way, ended the game with 22 points on six of nine shooting, which I think he actually had more points than anybody on Miami did, which is not going to have Miami win the series. And overall, it looks pretty bleak for Miami, but maybe when they return home, they can steal a game or two and try to get it back into their favor. I think if they can get it to 2-1 and take two of the three games at home and eventually have it at 3-2, I think they have a slight chance, but a 2-0 hole is very hard to climb out of. All right, well, let's look at the last series in the East. That's the number four-seeded Knicks versus the number five-seeded Hawks. And in game one, Atlanta pulled out a win, 107-105 at the end of the game to take a 1-0 series lead. Great game that went down to the wire. How did the Hawks pull off the, the win on the road at Madison Square Garden? Nobody is talking about it the day after. People were talking about it the day of and during the game. But Bogdan Bogdanovich, it was not Trey Young. Bogdan Bogdanovich, with 55 seconds left, hit a three when the game was at 103-100 New York. That three tied the game with 55 seconds left. As we know, the end score was 107-105. Both teams then, well, actually didn't trade baskets. Trey Young got fouled and made two free throws to put, to put Atlanta up two after that, which, by the way, if they were down three, wouldn't have mattered. Uh, then Derrick Rose hit a floater to tie the game, and then Trey Young hit the game-winning shot. But look, none of that happens and if, if this Bogdan shot does not go down, because then the Knicks get the ball. They make a shot with 33 seconds left to go up by five, and this game is over. That they would be fouling. Atlanta has to start fouling. Atlanta would have to start fouling, jacking up threes, and it wouldn't have worked, and they wouldn't have won the game. Basically, what I'm trying to say here is, I'm not trying to discredit Trey Young. He played great. He did. He won them the game in all other aspects. But that Bogdan play, not to mention the other thing that happened on that play, is that R.J. Barrett actually tipped the pass that was going to Bogdan. Somebody was falling. I, I think it was Trey Young was falling out of bounds and was trying to pass it to Bogdan in the corner. R.J. Barrett cut off the pass in the corner 
but dropped the ball into Bogdan's hands. If that steal gets caught by R.J. Barrett, by the way, play doesn't happen. Knicks get the ball with 55 seconds left, bleed the clock down to 33, go up by five if they get a two, or even get fouled and go up by four even if they make one out of two probably worst-case scenario, and then you have the Hawks fouling to try to get back into the game. Instead, you get Bogdan making the three, the game is tied, Atlanta gets a, gets a stop, makes, makes two free throws from Trey, and all of a sudden they're in control of the game. So that three right there probably it, – it, that might be one of the biggest plays in Atlanta's franchise history, frankly. Um, it, it, we'll, we'll see how the rest of the series turns out. We'll see how the rest out. of the series goes down. We'll see how the rest of this team, this, this era for them goes down, the Trey Young era. But, by the way, going now to Trey Young, 32 points, 10 assists, 7 rebounds, game winner. It's real quiet in here in MSG. Look, credit to Trey for all he did. Um, I don't think the Knicks thought that they were going to let him go off like this, especially because he was terribly inefficient in the first three in the regular season game, in the three regular season games between these two. He scored a decent amount of points, but he was really, really inefficient, took a lot of shots to get there. Um, this game he was more efficient, and overall, if he's going to get 32-10-7, it's going to be very hard for the Hawks to win this series, especially if Alec Burks is the, or, or for the Knicks to win the series, sorry, especially if Alec Burks is their leading scorer at 27 points. Credit to him for playing really well, too. He had a, he had a bunch of huge shots down the stretch, pretty much kept them in the game. Uh, but Julius Randle going 6 for 23 from shooting with only 15 points is not going to work, and they need their own trainer. They need somebody who's going to take the ball down the stretch and take the final shot, because even when Derrick Rose got the floater with 10 seconds left to tie this game, there were at least six or seven passes on shots that, if it was, I'm going to throw out other players from other teams, Kevin Durant, could have been Trey Young, could have been Kyrie Irving, could have been Jason Tatum, could have been Kemba Walker, could have been LeBron. Any other player that's a star in this league would have taken all of those six or seven shots, and nobody on the Knicks wanted to take the no, shot. No, I was like, they why do they keep throwing them? <laughs> wants to take the shot. Derrick Rose did want to take it, and he did take it. But even he passed it up because he saw somebody getting a perfect open look right under the basket. I believe it was Taj Gibson. But then he then passed it up. More people passed it up. Somehow it ends up in Derrick Rose's hands, and now he's scrambling to make a floater. Again, good ball movement, you could say, but people talk about making really, the extra really pass. They had really four really extra good. passes on that possession. And you don't make extra passes in, in late game scenarios. Yeah, it was That's like, oh, the extra pass, the extra pass, the extra I mean, pass, the extra at, pass. Look at, look at the game-winning play for Atlanta. It was yep. literally an inbounds pass, and then just ISO. That's how it works. Also, John Collins, by the way, nobody's nobody's talking about this either. John Collins lost his shoe trying to make the screen, and it got in Taj Gibson's way, and he couldn't defend, which I don't know if it actually made him not be able to defend. It looked like Trey Young just crossed him out of his shoes, but it, it could have impeded the play. Who knows? But I thought it was interesting. I saw that on replay, and I was like, oh, that's weird. His, well, whose shoe is that? Uh, but, yeah, John Collins played the last nine seconds without a shoe, even though he was the most important part of the play outside of Trey Young. But, again, credit to Atlanta. Good win to start the series for them. All right. Uh, that wraps it up in the East. Let's move on to the West. And, again, we'll start with the series featuring the number one versus the number eight seed. In this case, it's the number one, U- number one seed Utah Jazz against the number eight seeded Memphis Grizzlies. And the Grizzlies pull off the upset 112-109 to take a 1-0 series lead. Uh, this game had some big performances and a big absence. Patrick? Donovan Mitchell, this situation is very odd. Um, it's almost akin to what happened with Rudy Gobert and sending the league into quarantine. 
and Donovan Mitchell then testing positive after, and it felt like you couldn't really sense a rift, but you felt like it could be there. This time, Donovan Mitchell has not played since April 16th. Uh, the reports are that he brought in his own training staff after he didn't like the way his rehab was going with the Jazz training staff. A lot of controversy with this. And that his training staff and the Jazz training staff were at odds with each other on whether or not he should play game one. He was cleared, but then was a late scratch from the game. And that is really the reason why Utah didn't win this game, because not only was he a late scratch and that was upsetting, but his teammates thought that he was going to play the game. So... Utah lost this game playing basically with a game plan that was designed for Donovan Mitchell to start and instead had Joe Ingles starting. No problem with Joe Ingles at all, but look, Joe, Joe Ingles isn't Donovan Mitchell. Uh, he is Utah's best player. He's their heart and soul. And they're a completely different team with him than they are without him. It's just, it's pretty simple. Um, I believe they're three points per game better, and they also would have the fifth best record in the West without him, which is obviously not what they have. Instead, they have the number one record of the league. But enough of Utah. Let's talk about Memphis. This team has been crazy. Um, I didn't expect them to get past the Warriors. It looked for a little bit like they had a huge lead on the Spurs, and then they gave it up. It looked like they might get eliminated in that game. They had a huge lead on the Warriors and gave it up three or four different times. It looked like they were going to get eliminated in that game, then they pulled that one out in overtime. This one, Utah had a few stretches where they got back into the game, and Memphis just keeps fighting. Uh, this team is scrappy. This team is really, really fun to watch. And the two young guys, Dylan Brooks and John Morant, pretty much carried the team. Dylan Brooks had 31.7 rebounds. Ja had 26 points. Look, this is exactly the winning formula for Memphis. These two to combine for probably anywhere near 50 points. If they can do this every game, they're going to have a chance. Uh, they just need to get some production from other guys. These guys get anywhere in between 50 and 60 or even more than that. If they get less than that, they're going to have some problems. However... Uh, Utah, Bojan Bogdanovic had 29 points. Mike Conley had 22 points. Uh, Jordan Clarkson only had 14 points off the bench on 5 of 16 shooting. That's not very good for the sixth man of the year. Uh, but overall, I feel like Utah was just kind of out of rhythm and out of sorts and kind of lost without Donovan Mitchell on the court. Rudy Gobert ended up fouling out and was out for a majority of the fourth quarter after picking up, I believe, his fourth foul with about 10 minutes left in the fourth quarter. They, they really just didn't have enough to win this game. Uh, I, I honestly still thought, even without Donovan Mitchell, I was like, okay, Memphis will make this competitive, but Utah will still win this. Uh, good for Memphis for winning this game, though. It's huge for them. And maybe they could continue it, maybe not. I don't think they will if Donovan Mitchell comes back, but if it's only an 80% Donovan Mitchell, then they might be able to. Well, we'll see how the expected return of Donovan Mitchell in Game 2, everybody expects him to play. Well, he is, he's now double cleared for Game 2. Both the training staffs agree. There we go. Well, so we'll see how his return uh, impacts the rest of the series. Let's move on to the series featuring number 2 Phoenix Suns against the number 7 Los Angeles Lakers that I think Patrick predicted to win the NBA championship. Um, Phoenix wins this game 99-90 to with a major disappointment from a key Laker in this one. Yeah, AD had 13 points on 5 of 16 shooting. Uh, DeAndre Ayton scored 8 more points than him on 5 less shots, which is all you need to know about this game pretty much. But uh, LeBron had 18, 10, and 7. Pretty pretty normal performance for LeBron, although that's below season average in points and probably slightly below in, in rebounds too. Um, overall, he played okay. AD played way below average, and KCP was 1 for 7 from the 3-point line. 
The Lakers winning formula is LeBron getting a bunch of assists, scoring like 20 to 25 points, AD scoring about 30 on some on some pretty efficient shooting numbers, and Drummond helping them getting some offensive rebounds, and then KCP hitting a lot, a lot of corner threes when LeBron passes it to him. KCP didn't hit threes. AD didn't score well. He was not even <laughs> he didn't score any points, but he also wasn't efficient at all when he wasn't scoring. And, uh, and Aiton got eighteen got sixteen rebounds too. Yeah. Meaning AD and, wasn't and doing LeBron his job was, on the board. LeBron was under and LeBron was under his season average in points. And then on the other end, Phoenix played just well enough to beat them, although I, I'm still sticking with my pick just fine in this because Phoenix only wins by nine when Devin Booker goes full on hero mode, scoring thirty-four. Uh, getting eight assists and seven rebounds. I mean, he out, he out, he had the same amount of rebounds as LeBron, and also I think more than AD. Um, DeAndre Ayton had twenty-one points and sixteen rebounds on ten of eleven shooting. Now that wasn't necessarily Anthony Davis's fault because most of the game it was about the Lakers doubling uh, Devin Booker up top, and then basically every offensive rebound was Ayton's to get. But that might be a problem that the Lakers have to deal with and figure out because, I mean, they're either going to have to keep doubling Devin Booker or find somebody who can guard him, and it's going to be a problem that persists in the series. Uh, Chris Paul did not have a huge impact, but I don't really blame that on him because he also had a shoulder contusion and left in the middle of the game and came back and left again, so I don't really blame him for that. But, yeah, overall, it was a pretty close game, pretty fun game to watch, uh, but I would not be entirely surprised for the Lakers to win every single game of the rest of the series. I wouldn't be surprised if Phoenix swept them. Okay, we'll see how that one turns out. Uh, moving on to the only series in the West that's played two games, number three, Denver, versus number six, Portland. In game one, Portland upsets the Nuggets 123-109. And then in game two, Denver rebounds with a 128-109 win. What keyed the game one upset and Denver's rebound in game two to tie the series? Well, I don't know if you can call anything in this series an upset. I think both lines were within two points. Uh, I think Denver was favored by one in the first game and then was favored by one and a half in the second because Everybody foresaw the revenge that Denver was going to get. Uh, but Dame, Dame Lillard was Dame Lillard in both of these games. 34 points, 13 assists in the first one. C.J. McCollum had 21 in the first one. Uh, Carmelo had 18 points. Hey, Denver, stop booing him. That's a bad idea. He had four threes in the first half. And then all of a sudden, I think he was four for five from three. And then all of a sudden, they stopped booing him and he missed his next three. Oh, my God, stop booing Carmelo Anthony. Also, he's the best player in your franchise history, whether you like Nikola Jokic or not. So you should probably be quiet about it. Um, anyway, that's a little rant on them. But also, 14 points in that first half alone to basically seize control of the game. I mean, Denver had a pretty good lead. I think they were up by eight in the first quarter. And then Carmelo came in, hit two or three threes, forced a timeout from Denver. And they just didn't stop. Dame came back into the game. He started hitting threes. Carmelo started hitting threes again, hit, hit more threes. Anthony Simons came in and hit a few and then C.J. McCollum started scoring, and all of a sudden, Portland was just rolling, and this is what happens with them. Um, their defense is not stellar, but when they play really well on offense, it doesn't matter how well their defense plays. It's kind of the same thing that Brooklyn has, uh, except for not 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 the stars aren't as good. But um, overall, I mean, it's just it's just the day of the apocalypse. <laughs> um, Jokic had 34 points and 16 rebounds, but interestingly enough, he only had one assist in this game, which was obviously a season low for him. Uh, it was really, really interesting to see if that was part of the strategy, if their idea was, look, you got to let him score, but at least limit his passing, because you're not going to limit his scoring, but you can limit his passing, get in the passing lanes. Pretty much disrupted them a little bit. In game two, he didn't get many more, but I'll get to that in a second. 
Michael Porter Jr. had 25 points and 9 rebounds, but was 1 for 10 from the three-point line, which he was one of the league leaders in percentage this year. So overall, Portland actually did do a decent job defending uh, in this game, and that's probably the key in why they won that game. Uh, in game two, Denver got their revenge. Look, Dame was the only one doing anything on Portland that whole game, other than Yusuf Nurkic fouling out on stupid fouls and C.J. McCollum getting flagrants for, for pushing over flopping Facundo. Um, literally, Dame kept them in the game. They were down by, I think, 16 in the second quarter. I think he scored 29, I think he scored 24 points in the second quarter on seven threes and basically kept them in the game. He ended up with 42 points and 10 assists. He was basically their only offense. Uh, most of his shots were, some of them were, some of them were step back threes over double teams. Like he, it was at the point where he knew that he had to take over the game for Portland to have any remote chance of winning. And they still went into halftime down 10 points. And then overall in the second half, you got some frustration fouls for Portland. Uh, they basically made sure that Dame didn't get the ball at all to the best of their abilities. Denver did. Uh, and then just overall, they just did a good job of ball denial. And then he wasn't able to do much in the second half. And that him being slowed down. And as I said, nobody really did anything else on Portland other than commit stupid fouls. So they just kind of got out of sync. And then they were kind of out of rhythm. And it just felt really odd and not very Portland-like. They weren't sharp at all. Like the sharpness I was talking with Mil about with Milwaukee earlier, they were the exact opposite of that. And then Denver, Jokic got 38-8-5. Again, still only five assists, so way below his season average, but still good enough. A lot of scoring. He was 15-20 of 20 from the floor. Dame was really efficient for a point guard who's shooting setback threes over double teams. Uh, and overall, this series is going to be so fun to continue watching because even this, I mean, both these games were more than, were double-digit victories, one by 14 and one by 19, and it doesn't matter. It was still interesting to watch. Well, some great shot-making. Great shot-making in yes. the game. Uh, all right, well, let's move to the last series in the West. That's the number four Clippers against the number five Mavericks. Dallas wins game one, 113-103. How'd the Mavs pull off the game one upset? Luka Doncic was the best player on the court, and there's no question about it. Uh, one thing I will say is the Clippers need to put either Kawhi Leonard or Paul George on Luka Doncic if they want to win this series. Uh, not even just because they are better defenders than whoever they have guarding him, Pat Beverly, uh, but really just because they need to set a tone. I mean, they brought these players in, and the whole thing was that they were assuming that Kawhi's got this whole New Balance ad with his king, and he's the king of L.A., which... Uh, but look, they, they, they built this team off of, uh, off of supposedly having the best two defensive wings in the NBA and neither of them are guarding one of the most talented offensive players. That's a wing player in the NBA. It makes no sense. If they are the best two wings, then why aren't they guarding the best guy on offense? If they're not going to do it, they're going to lose the series. And if they are going to do it and he still goes off, then they're going to, then the Mavericks are going to sweep the Clippers. Um, the reason why I picked the Clippers is because last year they were able to do enough to put so many different guys on Luka to double him, force the game out of his hands. Uh, and when they did double, he did make a few mistakes. But overall, 31 points, 11 assists, and 10 rebounds. That's just domination from Luka. Uh, if he continues to do this, I don't think there's a way the Clippers win the series. 
especially if Paul George and Kawhi Leonard are going to shoot below 50%, and neither of them are going to score over 25 points. All right, well, that wraps up our look back at uh, the action so far in round one of the NBA playoffs. It also wraps this edition of the 4th and 24 podcast. Please be sure to check out our next podcast, which will be on Friday, May 28th, where we will talk about Major League Baseball and other significant events in the world of sports. In the meantime, be sure to check out Patrick's additional content, including his NBA Power Rankings update tomorrow, his picks for next weekend's games that will be on Thursday, and his Major League Baseball Power Rankings updates, which are posted on Saturdays. All of that on our website, 4thand24.com. That's the number 4, T-H-A-N-D, the number 24.com. Thank you for listening.